Alright, this is way too long. And welcome to Movie Victory. I feel like that should be like maybe 15 seconds shorter. I mean, I'm looking at it. It looks like it was an 18, 15 seconds, but okay. Uh, so I am. We're, we're talking about the movie Sunrise today, and um, you probably, if you recognize that music at all, you recognize it from Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and so it's kind of interesting that it's it's an older piece, at least uh, either original to this, or I, I don't know if it's a classical piece that predates. It's a classical piece. It's called Funeral March of the Marionette. Okay. Excellent. A marionette has died in that song. Very cute. It seems like very, very happy music for the most. Well, it's like silly. Because imagine like a puppet show, and then there's a funeral march in the puppet show. So it's a little jokey. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to Movie Victory, the only uh, podcast that's on the interwaves um, that talks about a scientific breakdown of classic movies and movies that aren't classic. Um, where science and movies meet where science and movies meet and no one else has done this and you really wonder why and um, we've been talking about branching out to apply science to other art forms to do uh, formal evaluations because we need more science in the arts I think we all can agree on that Um, but yeah marionettes (laughs) we could apply it to marionettes apply it to marionettes to start this is a huge film to talk about. I don't even, I feel like it's such a departure to the films that we've talked about before, just because True. there's so much history um, with this filmmaker and with this film specifically, um, mm-hmm. too. And so I, I guess I did not even think about that when I picked this. Um, if you haven't seen this film, it's uh, Sunrise, uh, directed by F.W. Murnau, which that is not, that's a ma- name he made up when he. Um, decided that he wanted to be an actor and I found out he, he made it up so that he could hide it from his parents who did not want him to be an actor cool. um, so, so that's why he came Rel- up with Relatable it. Yeah, uh, but it's Frederick uh, Willem Plume, I guess is his original name um, He's most famous for directing Nazarato Not Not yeah. yeah. um, the first ever Dracula movie that's not about Dracula officially because well, they, they, they get... could not get the rights to Dracula. It, yeah, it's such so a. So they made a much scarier movie, in it's, my opinion. It's such a great like little piece of uh, film history. If you've never seen the film, it, there's a lot of uh, uh, stories around the making of the film. Um, but then mm-hmm. the added thing where yeah they couldn't get the rights, but they did it anyway, and uh, the. The widow won in court, and the judge ruled that all the copies of the film were supposed to be burned. And uh, but it's it's still out there. You could still read it. I think there's a couple different versions of that movie. As with a lot of his movies, I found out that there are yeah. alternate versions of them. Um, a lot of lost Wait. films too yeah. by this director, which Th- is just kind of sad. That happens a lot yeah. to silent movie directors for some reason. Like George Mele, we lost like more than half of his movies or some shit have you seen nosferatu i have but it's been a long time and i would be definitely open for a rewatch. even and i feel like i want to see more of his movies that i haven't seen uh the last laugh sounds like a great film um anyway i have not seen last laugh uh nosferatu i saw once and i remember being like oh i was not expecting to be a little creeped out at this scene but the one I really remember is called Taboo. Have you heard of this? I have heard about it. I've not it's seen like it. An, it's on like an island. 
I that think one I've a, also only seen once and don't remember. I think that might be his last film, and there, okay. uh, and it was supposed to be a documentary at first with the producer, um, but uh, Murnau did not sign on to that apparently, and they had a falling out. Even though I guess he's still listed as co-director mm. in the film. Um, what did you think of? of uh, what did you think of it? Was it good? Uh, I remember in enjoying, or not maybe not enjoying myself. I remember being impressed, but like many movies I've only seen once, I don't remember what happens in it i just remember how i felt about it uh so I, that's one i would definitely want to rewatch. it's actually playing uh here in california in like a week or two i saw i just saw it on the bill for because movie theaters have reopened um so i might go see it that's, uh, but this this movie awesome. yeah uh, transition sunrise also the subtitle a song of two humans otherwise known as a duet uh, one of the interesting things about this film, so this is a, and I, I feel like you're going to hate me for going back into context, but this is a German filmmaker, and so this was kind of his first film in the States. So we've talked mm. about this before, about Hollywood always gets these famous directors from different countries, and then they invite them over to Hollywood, and they say, make whatever you want, whatever the budget is, you can do whatever you want, you use creative control. And um, that was the deal when he made this film, um, so this was his Citizen Kane in a lot of ways, or his Minari, if you want to go more recent, um, oh to, a, to a director who kind of got to do whatever they wanted. Um, and so, yeah, um, as you can imagine, it was a financial failure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was critically acclaimed. And uh, one of the other little t uh, tidbits history about this is it won, it was in the first Oscars, and it won, they had two best uh picture awards in the first Oscars one was the uh, best unique and artistic production and so you probably know already but the, a film called Wings is won the first best picture in 1927 when the Oscars started um, but that won like the more general award and this one won the best uh, picture unique and artistic production it also won for cinematography and the uh, Janet um, Gaynor um, one for Best Actress, and she was actually nominated for two other movies. Is she movies. the wife? She's the wife, and she was nominated yeah. for two other movies that year, which I think is just crazy. Wow. She had three nominations that year. The other films are Seventh uh, yeah. Heaven and Street Angel. Um, well, I've heard of Street Angel. Yeah, you know, for somebody that, for me, somebody, I'm the somebody who doesn't watch <laughs> that many silent films. Uh, I probably, I mean, I've seen more silent films than a lot of people, but I still, it's not my forte. She looks really familiar, somehow. She has a, she has a, a face that you that you recognize. I don't know if it's just like the normalcy of her face. I mean, she's she's attractive, but she's also seems like a regular person, you know. Anyway, I, the whole movie, I was like, why does she look so familiar? There's no way I've seen her in anything else. She's dead. Uh, <laughs> she was really prolific there for a while, and then she's one of those people that just had was like, I've done everything I've wanted to. I retired, mm -hmm. and so. And that happens those, a lot yeah, people, in early Hollywood. People like bust their ass for five or ten years, and they're like, "I'm out. I got my mansion in Pasadena or whatever." You know. I think that's awesome. I, I oh, love I that. Guess it looks like she's got some like random credits. I'm looking at her credits right now, and so 1957, 1959, mm -hmm. and then 1981, she's in like an episode of a TV of the right, Love Boat. Right. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, so for after 1959, she was just done. But yeah, I, um, I agree. I love that when people just know. They're like, I did my thing. A contemporary one, since you mentioned Minari for some reason, uh, Maggie Chung, 
the Chinese actress who's in a bunch of Wong Kar Wai movies, she's in everything in the 90s, including European and American productions. And then she was just like, like 2004 or something. She was like, I'm done. And I love that. Uh, I love when yeah, people I, just I get, mean, get out on top. Great, great move. I'm just, I was just given a modern example. That's the only reason I mentioned it. I know. Yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. At first, I was like, no, that works. That is what that is. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know. I don't know if that's his passion project, if he got completely creative control. But they right. usually do on their first run. Oh, you know what's um, one? When they really want to. Yeah. yeah go ahead. You know what's one to split the difference between silent movie era Hollywood uh, or golden era giving European directors free reign or creative freedom and then the movie flops? In the 70s, they did that a bunch too. And Antonio Oni, Oni, he made blow up in Britain. And then America was like, we'll give you money. You have total creative control. And then he made a movie called Zabriskie Point, which I love. And then they did not give him creative control. They cut out his ending. They changed his ending. And then the, the movie flopped also. But yeah, another example where they, they promised things to European directors and the movie doesn't do so well. He also had a film after this that was heavily edited and never released. Or what, maybe it was released and now it's lost that we've uh. never seen. So his next film is a Magnificent Amberson type hmm. film, which was edited by the studios, and then now we don't have any official version of it. It's so weird. Existence. It's so weird yeah. when movies just get lost, quote-unquote lost. Well, it doesn't happen really anymore. I feel like now it's kind of like, it's, uh, oh, maybe it still does. There's one anomaly that happened in, I think, the 80s. Uh, there's this great director whose name I cannot pronounce. It's like Jean-Jacques Benet, I think. And he made this movie called Diva in the 80s, which is fantastic. Like, I'd like to watch that at some point, not anytime soon. And then they, like, gave him all this money to make his next movie. And it's called Moon in the Gutter. And you, they, they took it from him. They butchered it. You know, it was, like, four hours long. And he edited it down to, like, two and a half. And then they edited it more. And it totally flopped. And then... It actually pushed him of like, fuck this studio, I'm going to go make the movie I want to make. And then he made what I consider to be his masterpiece, Betty Blue. And years later, after Betty Blue did so well, he like went back to the studios and was like, hey, can I have my, my negatives back? I kind of want to rework that movie that flopped. And they couldn't find it. It got, just, it got lost or destroyed somehow. And like... Since then, as far as I know, no one can find a copy of Moon in the Gutter. Although apparently it's beautiful. It's just kind of a mess. Uh, so that's a recent example of movies that were taken from somebody and then somehow, quote-unquote, lost or destroyed. Very weird phenomenon in movie history. Just the fact that it even happens at all. Especially, you got to think of the time, like, everything was so big. I, I mean, I think of, like, uh, you know, reading about Orson Welles making copies of things mm -hmm. and, like, holding on to them. I'm just like, that's a lot to carry with oh, yeah. with you around. I was places. just going to say, luckily, now you can put things on a hard drive and carry that around, bury them yeah. all over the world. <laughs> Much smaller, yeah. yeah. Uh, the film I was talking about is called Four Devils, and it came out in 1928. And the big thing, and this I'll use to segue into the actual movie, mm. is that they wanted to incorporate more sound effects, music, and dialogue sequence, which was he was against. And so they pulled it from distribution and then added more of that into the film. And then neither of the two versions you can watch today. They are lost to existence. So it did release. It did come out. But it, we kind of forced the the dialogue, which 
this movie does not like using the title cards even. No. I don't know how much you noticed how, even though yeah. I love well, the way the title cards looked, I love the, the visual font. of the title cards. The font yeah, is it great. Awesome. It looks like it's written with like a, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, which by the way, don't ever listen to an episode of ours if you haven't watched the movie yet. <laughs> You'll be lost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a it's this beautiful font and it almost looks like it's handwritten by like a, like a not a felt pen but like a like a paintbrush right yeah um, i would say it most likely is i know i, I think so it, 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 yeah it's probably an artist probably put that together yeah they really look individually done i think if you were to you know screenshot and compare each title card of which there's like 12 in the whole movie uh you know you could probably compare the t's and the h's and be like oh no it is different each time uh but yeah beautiful font like handwritten font on the title cards and also yeah not used a lot which brings me to my first issue with this movie is it a movie it seems okay. like a movie but is it i mean i see a lot of people's mouths moving nothing's coming out uh yeah we are not privy to the dialogue i, I think that is that's clear that's why they call them silent movies even though you probably um, noticed the soundtrack and sound effects so you were probably like you were like this isn't this isn't silent yeah if that's second. my next question if it's so silent why is there music so much music like the whole time and music with no lyrics so you know, total opposite of silence if you ask me <laughs> Uh, that that is very true. Um, Thank you. I saw this movie um, when I was watching all the AFI movies, and this is one that really surprised me mm. um, because I, I, I do like silent films. There are some that I'd watched before this that mm -hmm. I really liked. Um, I think City Lights. Whenever I think about like really good uh, oh, yeah. silent films, that that Charlie Chaplin film is probably my favorite of his. I feel like silent um, comedies might have gotten better budgets. You know what I mean? I think everybody liked comedy. I did even what is that safety not guaranteed? I thought that was great. Safety last. That. Safety last. Hilarious. Called. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. It was. It is really funny. Yeah. Like it just. It's surprisingly funny. Also, um, Buster but, Keaton. Everybody talks about Chaplin stuff, but like Buster Keaton, those gags. Those gags are genius. The general was like all about the special effects. I felt like, but I would mm -hmm. want to see more of his films. I think uh, the general maybe isn't his best. It's just kind of the one people talk about. So I'd seen those silent films before. I guess now that we talk about all comedies, and um, I turned this one on, not really expecting much, and then I'll set it up. So we learn about this guy who's married to this beautiful woman mm -hmm. with a child and a farm, and they have a and they have a farm. And um, this evil woman from the city has come in and hoodwinked the husband. Mm -hmm. And we learn through, like, people talking about them, gossiping about them, that he's, you know, spending all of his time with this woman, this city woman. Which is a good and, technique. Uh, I should point out the gossip is a really good way of divulging information early in the movie. Oh, it moves so fast. It's, yeah. It just tells us what we need to know. Then we see a sequence... And I, I won't get to end yeah, individual yeah. sequence because I'm like, this is such a great sequence. Right. Um, but we see them together, and she immediately is like, why don't you drown your husband? That, that right. That's like my favorite title card. Oh, that title card is That inner title is so, it's really smartly done. It's like paused and then drowned. Yeah, yeah. It, the woman, the, the femme fatale, who, by the way, the femme fatale is a brunette and the innocent wife is a blonde. That's no mistake. And... He's having an affair with this brunette from the city, this little farm boy, uh, this farm man. And the title card comes up and she says, 
couldn't she get and then it fades in the word drowned and then the then the characters like wiggle like it's drowning the word drown drowns and it's just like so smartly done because it actually builds tension like you don't know that she's about to say first of all you should murder your wife but it's like five minutes into the movie maybe yeah yeah yeah, it just hits you so yeah yeah and and it seems like it's going to be the crux of the plot and i don't mean to ruin anything but and we can get into it more but i almost think that like the whole like drowning subplot it's not even necessary i don't know how you feel about that like i know that affects the ending but like this could just be like a nice day to the city well, that's what I love about the film is that you think it's going to go this one direction that's going to be about does he kill his wife or not? And so he brings out his wife. It's like the next day this happens. Mm-hmm. He's out on the boat and he's planning to kill her, but then he can't do it. Um, he realizes that it's wrong. And then we have a full love story mm-hmm. um, in the city for the rest of the film. Wait, uh, you actually skipped over a couple important things. He's very va- he's very like vexed. He's like very conflicted about I should kill my wife and I should go have an affair with this woman from the city, um, which seems unnecessary. First of all, he could just leave her, uh, but <laughs> he goes. He takes her out on a boat, and then the dog freaks out. The dog like starts barking at them, and he's all getting worried. And the dog swims out and like comes to protect the wife, and it's like first of all. How how did that how how does that dog know how did that doggy know how did that doggy know he gonna kill the lady? I love that part. And then not only that, like, and then it's like because the dog knows, and then he like begrudgingly like takes the boat back, and then goes and like ties up the dog back at the farm, and then she knows. Oh, son of a bitch! My fucking roommate is calling me from within the house. Um, where was I? Oh, like the dog knows she's going to die. And then he ties up the dog. He comes back to take the boat out to drown his wife and make it look like an accident. And then she knows now. She knows something ominous is going on. And it's like, it's her worry that, am I remembering this right? That like makes him second guess everything. But then she's also terrified of him for like a little bit. Oh, I think it's it's I, I there's so much of this is physical and it's almost hard to describe. But yeah. a lot of the acting is I mean, it's a silent film. The acting is done through their expressions and it's I I agree that he could tell the story probably with no dialogue. Because because you do understand what's going on. His wife first uh and I guess I didn't want to get into any nitty-gritty before like just going through the plot. I guess the only thing at the end which goes perfectly with the story symmetrically is she, there is a storm at the end and so she, it looks like she's going to die and so the evil city woman then thinks always oh, followed the plan um, but you know she ends up being saved by what he was playing the instrument he was using to kill her um, which I, is a great this storytelling device that he was able to weave that back in which is just a, a, a a, a bunch of sticks that they put together. Yeah, a bundle of about. sticks that they're, to float. That they were going to use as a raft. And so she ends up getting saved by the instrument of her destruction at the end of the film, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is great. And then he, the, our main guy, tries to strangle the other woman. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and almost yeah. actually commit murder, not just. Uh, right. uh, well, I guess it's not manslaughter; it's still premeditated. He's an emotional guy. He is mean, all over the place, emotional. Yeah. I mean, we also have to talk about how silent movie acting very fucking different from even from theater acting. It's it's like fucking kabuki or something, you know. It's like you all you have almost, is your face. It's kind of a dance too. There's yeah. like some of my more favorite parts of these this film is more of the comedy sequences in the city. Yeah. Uh there's a lot there's a lot of things I like about uh I guess we get, if we're going to talk about if we go any kind of sequence, the scene where she and him are uh at the shore and there's the sun in the background. That's probably like visually one of the mm-hmm. one of my favorite scenes in the film. You you're in the weeds and you see the moon and it just looks great. Actually, like, I mean the, the lighting on a lot of those night shots is so great and like with the fog over the lake and stuff and like I remember the first shot I was impressed by is in the first few minutes and he goes out on a walk to go see the the femme fatale and it's just him and the moon. And I was yeah. like, "Oh wow. How the fuck did they it, do that?" It's stunning. Yeah. Um, and then where we get the superimposition used yeah. is, is awesome. And you're just like, I'm, how am I, how's this a 1927 film? I feel like when you have those visuals of the moon and then it turns into the city, mm-hmm. um, that's when you're just kind of like, wow. That's when I was first like, wow, this is something I yeah. have not seen any silent film do before. With the backdrop, um, right? So f- yeah. to, to give anyone it's, listening a, a good visual sense, there's, it's the classic, it's, it's proto-green screen, where they're literally, like, they have made an edit of a montage of the city and all these different things, and then they're just walking in front of it, uh, but you really don't expect it to happen when it starts happening. Uh, and it, it looks, starts it looks happening, great. it's superimposed at first on the moon, and then it gradually gets all the way there, and it's like they're in the city, and so, yeah, yeah. I guess that's why... Yeah. Yeah. But they do a they do a few super imposition shots and then one of the one of my I don't now I'm like jumping way ahead, but when they're in the city and they finally are starting to fall back in love, because that's what's so great about the film is like you think it's about one thing, but then it's like, no, it's a whole it's a love story from beginning to end. Right. Because once they get to the city, now she's kind of like, You wanna murder me. I'm not interested in you. Mm-hmm. Get away from me. And then you see their whole courtship uh, progress through the course of yeah, the yeah. evening in the city. Well, you know? and, and two things. One, so after he tries to murder her, her, she's like scared of him. She hops on a bus. He gets on with her. They end up at the city. And she's like very reticent. And he takes her to a restaurant after trying to murder her. And then the guy just gives them a plate of bread. And it's so much bread. It's just piles of bread. Like, why is there so much bread on the plate? And they take, like, a bite, and there's, like, 14 thick pieces of bread. I'm not going to talk about the bread much more, but it was a lot. Anyway, for some reason, after eating a little bit of bread, she starts to loosen up. And then the rest of the movie, to me, is really much much more about, like, renewing their vows. Like, they attend someone else's marriage, and the guy sort of remembers... And then they have like a cute little city date for the rest of the movie. It's like a night on the town. But yeah, it really is about renewing their vows and realizing why they fell in love in the first place and all this kind of stuff. I was just going to say, it is the vow sequence in my mind that it was the turning point where it's kind of like, 
now I almost want to look at this bread shot I got it pulled up, which it is on YouTube, but at the yeah, same time... Yeah, that's how I watched it. I was thinking, I was like, would this be worth... I looked up how much the Blu-ray was, and I was like, ah, I know it looks better. I I got, I got watched the DVD from the library last year, and it looked better. Mm -hmm. And um, The one on YouTube, there's a couple different uploads of it on YouTube presently, but one of them is in, like, 720p. Like, I had no, that's what it, no issue. That's the one I watched, yeah. but I, I guess I was just, like, remembering that... It, and it could just be, you know, with streaming quality, it's always annoying. You don't know if you're watching the yeah. real thing or... Okay. There is a lot of bread. I found that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of bread, right? <laughs> and she, I guess I was, in my mind, I was like, is this kind of the the way the oldie time places were, where you just kind of pass around the dish? And I don't know. Maybe that's what I was thinking. No, I want to see the bread. <laughs> Here's the. 3747 on the version I have. Yeah, thank you. Oh, good. so much bread. You get a good shot of Yeah. But her, like acting just afraid of him like just by like uh -huh. just turning like, her shoulder away like i don't know you what can't to do. see me so, but she's so just meek. like she's trying to like just look away from him like mm -hmm. uh obviously that doesn't translate very well audio but it, it is kind of just like you could run away but uh it's kind of comical but the movie's tone i would say changes a lot where it's, i would just it, give it a lot of credit for not being a realistic film or trying to be so it's kind of yeah like... it's a little all over the place tonally i mean scene by scene it i mean the barbershop scene is nothing like the you know the storm obviously you know i mean it the the movie jumps around a lot in terms of uh its vibe it goes from like hardcore drama to like just fun comedy to romance and just kind of back mm -hmm. and forth and uh i mean if it came out today and a movie did that people would say it's uneven it can't figure out what it wants to be but for some reason you know maybe just because it's a silent movie and like you know they're they're trying to see what they can do it kind of works it doesn't bother me at all and almost i feel like i like any director or writer that goes after just doesn't want to define what they're doing by a genre and and i think that the silent films did a lot of this a lot better mm -hmm. where drama just wasn't as long so i feel like they would go through the drama sequences faster and then comedy is just kind of more fun to watch and so yeah. i think that there's just more comedy in every type of silent film because you can visually get it well what, i mean the irony there is that like compared to today which is like much more fast-paced comedy and much more tense slowed down thrillers and stuff it's like it's just the opposite of what we do now where, like you said, the, the dramatic sequences are typically much quicker, and the comedy scenes are kind of like, I don't want to say laborious, but they take a while to get around. Like, they let, they let the joke sink in, and, like, you see the reaction shot for, like, eight seconds, which is, I think, some of the pacing is uneven because of that. I wish the pacing was much more like the dramatic sequences throughout the whole movie. Whereas, like, the barbershop scene is so, it's not even that long, but it feels really long. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I like that because now, okay. Well, this, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying my perception of time. No, you're, yeah, you're fine. I mean, uh, but like to me, that's the sequence of another guy hitting on her and she's like, yeah. and he's got to go over. So they have like that part of the relationship. So like, I guess maybe because I've seen it before, I'm like, it's kind of checking off the boxes of things that you have in a typical relationship. So they're having all of the, they're pre-drama, they're pre-date, like, it's all going mm -hmm. through the sequence, so... Was, oh, and let's, uh, let's not forget, uh, just to give people context, so 
<clears throat> this guy goes to get a shave and a haircut uh, and his, when he's out in the town and his wife is there waiting for him and then a guy sits down and she has flowers that her husband's just got her and a guy starts hitting on her and like takes one of her flowers and is being very cheeky and the guy, the husband getting a haircut gets really jealous but let's not forget right before that the wife is sitting down and then the female manicurist is just doing her thing and like is doing his fingernails and she starts to get jealous just watching it I know she's not a like, healthy relationship this, let's who be is honest this manicure or yeah. that, that's that's her reaction and he is like no i'm, I'm good because she like mm-hmm. offers him something no it's just the manicure and he's just like shaking his head he's vigorously like, uh, 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 don't touch me <laughs> don't touch me other uh, woman yeah I, i'm i'm taken for and then I guess now that I'm like flipping through it, I could definitely see all the sequences. And then they have the picture together sequence where the guy breaks something. They have that in this movie where he breaks something and tries to hide it. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, where, where is it? I'm sorry. You know? And uh, then they kind of run out of there laughing. Um, yeah. My, one of my favorite sequences, though, where I, I guess it, it's not like super compelling, but th- I just loved it. Where I don't know your thoughts on this. There is the pig sequence too. Oh, the pig. But the guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, no. But the guy with putting the uh, the the strap of the girl's dress up over and over, over again. and over again. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I was just that's at the party with with the pig. Yeah. Should with we talk pig, about yeah. the pig? Actually, before we get to the pig. Um, okay, we can I go think, to the pig. No, no. Before that, uh, you remember when they after they renew their vows and before they go to the barber. Uh, they like kiss in the street and cause like not just a traffic jam but a huge accident and then there's a moment where a guy they cut to a guy and he goes hey get out of there and it goes perfectly to his mouth and I was like hey it's not a silent movie after all they like cue it up just right so that one of the people that's yelling you can like tell what he's actually saying it's like proto talky but yeah they just kiss in the middle of the street and cause like a a huge car pileup. <laughs> I I love the whimsicalness of that se- sequence where it's like they've got, they've just lost so much in the moment, which did remind me of the like the Before Sunrise film. I guess I thought about those a little bit while I was watching that, but like just that kind of romance where the I mean I guess people call this German expressionism, but I mean expressionism, mm. but it's like it seems more magical realism. Oh yeah, I would not call this German expression. It's not dark enough. And the angles are not extreme enough. I think it's just because it's expression. I think it's just because it's director. Yeah. 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 But it's much more magical realism where it's this whimsical thing where it's like you just happen to. Because it's not scary. It's just kind of like funny that they almost cause these accidents. And the way all the cars are positioned, it's in no Uh way that cars could ever be positioned in a road. And that's why. It's like surrounding them. It actually (laughs) reminded me that that shot in particular where they kiss in the middle of the street and then I think that's also that's a backdrop that's definitely they're yeah. in front of a screen oh. and they like but they did it all they these have cars real, real too they flip back and forth yeah yeah right, but right. all these cars come at different angles and that's just not how streets are laid out and so it makes it look both like a traffic jam and an accident and like a car pile up and there's just some guy in the street yelling at them also and it's very bizarre and the the thing that that specific scene reminded me of uh, which I know we have not done yet on the show, but one of my favorite directors, Leos Carax, is like very influenced by silent movies and silent movie techniques. And it just reminded me of something out of one of his films where like suddenly, just because you're watching a movie, 
anything is possible. It's like a dream. You know, anything can happen coming at you from any angle. And and I just, I loved that shot. And uh, and I, I just want to do a plug. I know we haven't done plugs in a while, but Leo Skorox's new movie, first time in like 10 years, coming out. It's premiering at Cannes Film Festival in like a couple days. So it'll probably be out in a couple months. It's called Annette. And uh, the thing I am most excited for this year to see in the theater. It's definitely his style where he's just going to push the limits of like, well, this is what cinema can do. We can do whatever we want. And that shot, for some reason, is so goofy. It reminds me how influenced he is by silent movie techniques. Anyway, that's a huge tangent. The pig. Okay, the pig. They, they literally... We had a dog sequence. We have a pig sequence. Which I found out that this, uh, this apparently this time period, Ren Ten Ten was before this. So I was going to tell you with the German Shepherd sequence that mm-hmm. might have been influenced. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. You talk about the pig sequence. I'm, pro- I'm probably going to just play it real quick. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, they got that pig drunk for sure. Uh, I actually did not like watching that little pig struggle. At first, I was like, "Oh, it's so cute. Oh, it's drinking the wine. I hope that's not wine." And the next few shots are, like, this pig clearly drunk and, like, kind of struggling and knocking things over. And I was just, you know, this is not, this is not PETA approved by any means. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the pig sequence just because I I don't know if pigs like being drunk. Um, Yeah, and I would say you're probably right. even though we're not abusing pigs in, in movies, we're definitely killing more of them today on a massive scale. Yes. Um, but you, but, but you are, pigs are such smart animals, and it is kind of sad to see. Uh, but I guess I, I wasn't 100% sure, like, oh, but it is a small pig, and it was pretty common practice to get animals drunk, specifically like pigs and goats and stuff. So it's kind of just sad. I mean, people do it with their dogs today. And really? it's it's... Yeah, it's a terrible practice. Um, people get their dogs drunk. They get their dogs high. Um, anyway, the the dogs are not making the choices. And yeah, I'm, I, the, I do feel bad um, for the pig, even though this wasn't this is a time period that predates our obsession with bacon. So I'm right. sure a lot less pig. It made me wonder if they put something it's in not the wine. Long. Yeah, it made me wonder if they put something in the wine that the pig likes to eat. So they like tricked it, or did it? Was it just like, ooh, red wine? I'm, a, I will eat whatever, you know, not knowing what was going to you know, happen. Pigs have different personalities, like all animals, yeah. and uh, I know some pigs would just drink and eat anything, and mm-hmm. some pigs have preferences. So yeah. who knows? Just like that I mean, just like dogs, pig. they're very yeah personable. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're unique. Uh, but I, I guess I like animals in films, and um, it is kind of sad. Where even today, I would argue a lot of animals in films are not being treated very well, and how they get those animals to do most things is mm-hmm. not um, the greatest motivations that are used. I mean, a lot of it is still is just food. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I guess officially they're not allowed to use any negative reinforcement. But right. you just think about the life of an animal like that; they just can't be. I mean, it's not like they're using the money, right? And it just can't be a happy life for. I'm always anyone. impressed when it's a screened cat i know because cats are cats are notoriously you can't tell them what to do and so i'm always impressed a little bit when i see the cat is clearly doing what it's told on screen like famous screen cats 
would be a good theme season. I'm kidding. Um, I've, actually, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, and you can't train cats. And so when you see cats doing things like on command, that's a lot of takes and mm-hmm. a lot of just. So, I mean, I guess you could get them to, to encourage them to do things in a minor way. But it's like, yeah, it's very hard. And I think Altman talked about, I've listened, like, just the, from listening to director commentaries, they'll talk about animals and how hard they are to work with. And I remember uh, the Marlo Brando in The Godfather, that was improv, that cat sequence. Probably one of the most famous cat sequences on film where there's a cat purring on the set. And uh, the, you know what sequence I'm talking about? Like, Marlo's at, at the wedding. Okay, it's... It, it's I think it's in the first Godfather where he's so Brando uh, Marlon Brando yeah. is in is in the office and like talking in his office you can imagine it and uh, Francis Ford Coppola said the cat was purring so loud in that sequence that Brando just picked him up to really just shut him up and uh, the cat just you know loved Brando and if you watch mm-hmm. that sequence it's, it's a great sequence he's like talking and he picks yeah. up a cat and pets it after it's purring. Uh, I do remember and, uh, that. Brando seems like <laughs> yeah. a like a a cat guy. Well, he's clearly like this cat is stealing my. I feel like that's what it was. He's just like this cat is stealing my scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, Might I, as well I incorporate it. And that's I know, good acting. That's, I, yeah, I would agree. I was like, it makes the sequence. It's a great sequence, and uh, yeah, it definitely felt improv. And I've I've heard Coppola in interviews talk about it to confirm that that was all improv yeah mm-hmm. but anyway for anyone um, wondering about acting that's a great example if something is disrupting the scene you incorporate it incorporate it because you know? what would your character do in real life and right. go by that mm-hmm. I actually listened to brian cranston's book uh this week and he talks about that a lot mm-hmm. i guess I, I like brian cranston and his like take on acting i think sure. it's so um Anyway, it's yeah. basically that, that it's like you got to go with what's genuine for the character in that sequence. And he talks about how many arguments he's had with people about, like, insisting certain choices to be made to just match what the character would do. in a sequence. Mm-hmm. And, and just actually doing things. I'll never forget one of my favorite acting quotes ever. I think it was Jack Nicholson. And he says, so many actors look at their watch and they don't know what time it is meaning they just pretend to look at their watch when what you should do is look at your watch and actually feel and be curious and go, oh, it's 1037, and then look back up and continue the scene. You know, actually check your watch. I think that's amazing advice because you can apply it to so many things. Yeah, stay in the moment and be present the whole time, which not every 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 actor's like that. Some actors just do a rehearsed thing and they do it exactly the same each time and, you know, whatever. Um, there are certain actors that have been really successful with that style. Sure. Um, but but I seem to like or gravitate to, which I would have probably a lot of people, but the more Brando, mm-hmm. which I guess often gets credited, which I guess it's his acting. Modern movie. acting, yeah. Well, I think Brando's a great example. I mean, Brando would definitely check the time, not check his watch. You know what I mean? He wouldn't perform checking his watch. He would actually notice what time it is and make it a moment you know make a fucking meal out of it and i think that's that's huge you can kind of tell you can tell when somebody's faking you know performing it i shouldn't say faking it but performing it rather than doing it you know yeah i guess brando and james dean were the big people that i think jack nicholson style. jack nicholson yeah is a yeah great example much later but yeah yeah later yeah. stuff yeah actually yeah. not but the yeah. much later stuff where he just becomes an icon and it's like a fat old man but but yeah, 
the the golden era. Right. I would say De Niro's kind of went through the same thing, but they can still. I would say both of them can still turn in some good performances sometimes. Um, but De Niro hasn't done any. Well, no, I, I that whatever that Scorsese movie recently that was good. Well, they I don't, don't have if... to work anymore. Let's face it, Jack Nicholson and De Niro don't have to work if they don't want to. And Jack Nicholson doesn't. When's the last time he was in a movie that wasn't a rom com? I probably a Scorsese movie, right? Departed or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think of something. I guess he's done it like the a few of. I'm like, when when was that bucket? I think he knows he, he had his. I think that's an interesting example, like we talked about earlier. He knows when his prime was, and he kind of got out on top. And he still works every once in a while, you know, to pay the bills or or just for fun, just to work with somebody he likes. Brian Cranston actually talked about this with De Niro, and I thought that this was really interesting. And he just talked about how he likes to work because he feels most comfortable at work. And so you wonder why De Niro keeps doing films. It's just because that's where he's most himself. And um, so I think there's nothing wrong with that. You work for the rest of your life because that's what you truly love doing. And I guess I, I know what you're talking, I know what he's talking about. It's like, you just kind of feel like you belong. Um, so you don't, you feel comfortable basically. And if you're somebody that is a huge celebrity, you would imagine most of the time you don't feel super comfortable and so i guess in that way the uh the set of a movie is, is your is your best option to be comfortable i'm looking up jack nicholson imdb and he hasn't done anything for like 11 years it looks like yeah. he did he did a lot he kept on working for a while though up until 2010 so i don't know what changed but for a long time, he's the kind of guy that's coming out with multiple movies every year, really since he started. So he mm-hmm. just stopped in 2000. That's a long time into his career. I don't know how old he is, but I mean, he's he, he put in a lot of years. 1937 was when he was born. Yeah. Although, I mean, let's face it, he Jack Nicholson has a great, we're way, way off topic, but he really <laughs> yeah. hits a he hits a super interesting streak in the 70s, which uh, is much later in his life. Well, no, yeah. he's, he's in his 30s then. But he'd done a lot of work throughout the 60s. And then the stuff we know, you know, it starts with Easy Rider and then Five Easy Pieces. And then he starts getting really good roles, like Chinatown, The Passenger and stuff. And then, of course, Cuckoo's Next is like the big breakthrough. And then uh, after that, he becomes like, by the 80s, he's an icon, you know. And you get him in like Batman and A Few Good Men and shit like that. Uh and then, yeah, I guess he kept working through the early 2000s. Anyway, I think that that period of the 70s and 80s, Jack Nicholson is is some of the... holds its weight against some of the best acting in the 20th century. For me, I just like his whole vibe. But uh, And I love that quote about the looking at your watch thing. But yeah, anyway. Kubrick also said that Jack Nicholson was one of his favorite actors. We can move off this topic now. Yeah, though. yeah. But I thought... I, but Spielberg apparently talked to Kubrick about Jack Nicholson, and he and he in didn't the like him or something. In the Shining, yeah, yeah. Well, we talked. I about may have it. told yeah. this story before on the podcast. Uh, oh, there, Kubrick, oh. who kept in touch with many directors, Shining had just come out in the early '80s, and he called Spielberg, and he was like, "What'd you think?" And he was like, "I mean, it's good, Stanley, but uh, you know, don't you think Jack's a little over the top?" And Kubrick just went. Well, how else would a crazy person act? And then years later, Spielberg revisited it, and he's like, and now I think it's a great performance. 
But I'm sure, especially when it came out, it was a lot. I mean, that, that movie is still a lot to, to undergo, you know. Anyway, Sunrise. But extreme extreme acting in this film, too. You could, you definitely Yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, and I guess what I was going to talk about was there's this sequence, which is just kind of a throwaway sequence, where it just shows a man and a woman standing next to each other, and the woman's dress keeps falling over, and then the guy keeps on putting it back up. Yeah. And th- then he gets frustrated and, like, puts the, like, puts the other one down. And puts the other one down, and the woman, like, slaps him. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you think? Was that guy perverted or was he No, well, he nice was, he's clearly well, annoyed. Uh, I think it's a good... You can tell by his face, he's, like, screwing up his mustache while he does it. He's like, ugh, this bitch, you know? And, like, the, so her different... Each sleeve keeps taking turns coming down, and he keeps fixing it for her. And she keeps turning her head and saying, oh, thank you. And he's like... And then and when she turns away, he, like, rolls his eyes. He's like, I can't believe this is my life right now. And then it, eventually it happens... Again, this is one of those gags that, for me, goes on way too long. And then it, key, it happens, like, a fifth time. And then he just pulls the other one down, and then, yes, she reacts. Even though she just thanked him four times in a row, you know... But yeah, it's a, it's a bit, it's a little bit. Why is he paying attention so much to her straps? I mean, because that's the bit. I don't know. To me, that that joke was like a chore. That joke is a chore <laughs> to watch. Uh, um, oh, see, see, I guess I do. I I like the I like the how it goes, it goes the distance. In a, in a lot of ways, that uh, certain types of comedy do. Uh, that's certainly the silent error things they will take things to the nth degree to do yeah, the bit that's true completely and i i love that and um there's a lot going on in that sequence yeah. there's also them dancing i mean for a this long is, time how, how many times have you seen like a couple like when they fall in love they gotta like dance and like really uh mm-hmm. take bring the house down in their dancing i mean right. this film does that in just the same it's i, I don't Which know happens in so many film. movies especially musicals right. But it's in this early 1927 film, and it, it feels so modern. I would say a lot of this film feels very modern, and um, some of those storytelling choices uh, to do the montage the way they do it, and um, yeah. I mean, it is the beginning of the modern era. You know, the flappers, 1920s jazz, all that stuff. All these people wearing suits and going out on the town. You know, it's very different from 1910. You forget how how quickly everything changed, you know. Um, Which we, I guess, the dead was what nineteen oh four. Yeah, it's I early nineteen hundred. That's see, very different vibe. Yeah, very different. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I don't very know. Different I mean, group of people. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, well, they're not American. This is a very see. It see. This feels like <laughs> a very American movie, despite not you know being made by a German dude. Um. But yeah, I don't know. This movie, um, you know, some of the set design is really cool. Uh, like the intro to the circus, for instance, where there's like that big spinny wheel thing. I don't know what to call it. Like a, it's like the, I don't know if it's supposed to be the tent that the circus is in or like what it is. But like the intro to the circus is really beautifully done. Um, you know, we mentioned some of the backdrop, like screen work is really interesting, even like unpredictable. Um, the lighting, like we said, the night stuff, the fog is really great. Um, 
We haven't talked about the the storm in the end. So they leave the city after the big dance party, and we they take a boat home. And they got there on a bus, and they just says take a boat home. And then there's a huge storm, and it starts where you actually see the people at the circus and in town, like all scattering because the storm is starting. And then they're on a boat, so they're fucked. Uh, and we see this whole storm sequence, and she falls off the boat, of course, and she's gonna drown. And oh, he was gonna drown her at the beginning, and oh, what an irony. Uh, and then, oh, you know what I like? There's a sound thing that they do that's, it should be stupid, but it works really well. So he, he like gets the boat tips over and they both fall off and she maybe drowns and he gets to these rocks and you see him call out for her. And when he calls out for her, you just hear a horn. He's, it's like, and it's, it somehow works perfectly. Like he like cups his hands over his mouth. And when you see him like yelling, you just hear this single like muted trumpet or whatever it is and it's amazing like as it was happening i almost couldn't believe like that works so well even though it's it should be stupid was was my only thought of like this should seem really dumb and yet it totally works like a lot of the movie actually well you get caught up in the emotions of the characters or i certainly do as i watch this film and i'm feeling for this guy who is not super likable i'll say Mm -hmm. um but just him feeling panic there and and feeling like who hasn't felt like they almost did the wrong thing or did the wrong thing and they're trying to make up for it Mm -hmm. um anywhere in your life even if it's not romantic and then for that thing i guess that you thought you wanted but was really the wrong choice to happen organically like that's like the worst feeling when uh so because he's kind of like well if i hadn't planned to murder her in the first mm-hmm. place we wouldn't have had this lovely <laughs> night out yeah right it's, it's kind of and, like god's middle finger it's god laughing at you of like well right is this really what you wanted and i think that's a lot of the movie is like not only are they renewing their vows and learning to love each other again uh but there's the like Oh, it's not the quote of like, you know, it's better to have loved and lost than not loved at all. It's like, hey, you're about to lose this thing that you were willing to sacrifice. And now you realize that's not what you want at all. Right. Um, you don't know what you have until it's gone. I that, think thank you. That it. Thank you. That's exactly what yeah. I, that's what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's certainly that it's uh, you had everything you wanted at the start of the movie and you just didn't know that yeah and um and in this one it's just the threat of losing it is such an an eye-opener right yeah yeah um anyway the woman does not drown uh there's a big long sequence where i think she does the femme fatale comes back unexpectedly after an hour or more of not seeing her and then he's so distraught at his wife having ostensibly drowned uh, that he starts to strangle the woman, the femme fatale. Oh, by the way, they have a kid. And when he comes home, the kid's just asleep. What, what did they just leave the kid? I mean, maybe this was more common practice back in the farm days because there's like less. No, they, they have somebody, a lady there that's like, I'll take care of the kids. You go to the uh, city. There was okay, a, there was a sequence. That, there was a sequence. And then she was there with the kid. And okay. I don't know who that woman was. Like, yeah. I assumed it was like her mother, maybe. Or just um, but a lady in a... town. It's a small town. Okay, I missed it's that a... part. I missed that detail. 
but they were like together at the beginning. So I guess they seem close to me. Yeah. So, I mean, our characters don't have names, by the way. Right, right. So we, um, we got man, wife. I mean. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he's strangling the femme fatale, and then the woman, the this older woman. So she's listed as the the maid, by the way. Okay. The maid. So the maid may have been watching the kid. Anyway. Um. So he's strangling the femme fatale. Uh, after he thinks his wife is drowned. Meanwhile, we're seeing intercut that his wife has been saved. Uh, and then news gets back to them. The maid calls out to him, and the same thing happens, where her call is the single muted trumpet. And I was like, yes, you did it again, five minutes later. I was so pleased. Um, and like tears are coming from her eyes while the muted trumpet sounds coming out of her mouth. And he stops strangling the woman, thank God. Uh, and then just kind of walks a block back to town. Like, he was not strangling her very far away. Anyone could have seen him do this, by the way. Um, and then the woman is revived. And then, then there's, the ending is hilarious. Because there's the man who on the boat, this like old sea shanty town man, talking about how he saved her. He's like, oh, well, I know the river really well. So I went and followed the currents and I found her. And then he's explaining it, I guess, to the maid. And she's like so endeared and is admiring him. And there's this woman standing behind him looking so pissed. And you realize it's his wife and she's getting jealous at... <laughs> the old man saves the wife and then at the end he's being admired by another woman and his wife is behind him and like pulls his ear and gets mad at him. And so we have a f callback to the, the jealousy at the barbershop. And it's like, oh, isn't that just human nature? Which, by the way, it doesn't have to be. But, you know, this is an old-timey flick. Uh, but I thought that was a nice little touch. Of... I love that. I love the, all the little nuances to the different... Every story, every character has their own little story. And, like, mm. this character who finds them, it's like, why does he get this big part where it's almost <laughs> like he's got a scene with dialogue? It's literally the then... end of the movie, yeah. <laughs> and then the maid, like... Is like oh like maybe she's checking him out yeah. and he's like oh well, right this thank, nobody thank you very much <laughs> this no this person we have not seen at all in the movie in the last two minutes gets his own inner titles, of which yeah. there's not many. Anyway, uh, one of the sequences where, where we're talking about the girl from the city. Which what is her name? Is it just girl from the city? I just thought of her woman as the woman woman from the city is her is her name. I like calling her the femme fatale because <laughs> she seems like a prototype of that. I mean, this is pre-noir, pre but yeah. I laughed so hard in this sequence where it shows her and she's smoking a cigarette, like, and you can see all the smoke, and she's got a newspaper in her hand, and um, she sees something, and we see it, uh, a tight shot in on it, and it, and she puts, I guess she's afraid she's going to forget this later, so she's got a pencil, and she's, like, marking it to highlight it, and it says, uh, farm... I gotta, I gotta go back. I had it pulled up, but I got caught up into watching the sequence. Mm -hmm. But it basically is like farm for sale, cheap, money, move to city. So it's right. just, just like just yeah, exactly what she, exactly what she needed. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, here it is, farmers! Exclamation point! If you want to sell your home and move to the city, we pay cash. United Real Estate Company, National Bank Building. I just I, I so my question did. there is like is she putting out an advertisement just for him or is this her thing does she not no, really this, love him and she's just trying to like 
do her job? Like what? I didn't understand no. that bit at all. No, I... what? No, so she's like, oh, I'm gonna sell the farm to this company and get money so I can have cash and move to the city. Okay, that, I have, like, I'm gonna be honest that I did not read that scene very well, because I was just like, what the fuck is this advertisement? And this like, is exactly what she said earlier. She's like, sell the farm and we'll move to the city. I know and that. She's av- advertising that says exactly that. Sell your farm and move to the city. So I was just like... See, I was just... Little, I, maybe I'm just dumb or I was being impatient or not paying attention, but I was just like a little confused of like, is she seeing this ad? Did she put this ad out herself? And then no, I was, I was like, is this her thing? See, I spun out into a thought of like, Oh, does she do this to men all the time and she doesn't really love him? Is this her thing? Does she make money off this somehow? And so I like... Oh, I think... I think you're right that she's clearly... It's showing us that she's doing this for the money specifically. So Mm. you are right to assume, is he the... Is she going to kill him? Does she take him to the city and murder him? And then she goes and finds some other farmer to do this to? I mean, her motives are not clear in the movie. She's not a well-drawn character. She's clearly just the... The... She wants money. That's yeah. Clear. Yeah. That's her motive. Uh, That's her motive. Yeah. She's not. Oh, yeah, of course. She's not the focal point. We don't get a lot of her. She just. She's a plot point. She moves the she's story. She's the villain. Along. Yeah, more or less. Definitely the antagonist. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things about the movie that you walk, or I walk away from it, just being like, okay, why, why does this man have no choice in his life? Why is this woman shown to be completely evil and can just make him do whatever he wants? Like, the way that it uh, makes uh, women appear in this film is completely reductive. Um, and you could pl- could make a good argument, just like, wow, look how misogynist this, this is. Uh, but it is a, a vehicle of its time, and... Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna... It's just I mean, kind of funny. I just is funny. I don't... I don't I, yeah, I mean, until very recently, the way society viewed women in general was reductive so it's like it's not just a product of its time but it's also accurate in the way that these things were viewed and these types of people were viewed so let's let's not forget it's like just the most base version of a woman that's evil and what and that's kind of why i wanted you to see this after we talked about our movie last week where i was like oh you have a character who's making a choice between good and evil Mm -hmm. and I, i see that that's why that's why immediately when we talked about um, sleep with anger I was like this is the same it's the same kind of choice to good or evil mm-hmm. and you could make the same argument about the wife being just pure good well like I said um, that's why I thought it was so on the nose that the femme fatale is a brunette and the innocent wife is a blonde you know very angelic and I was like oh that's really that makes sense you know aesthetically um, this is something we haven't talked about, but is, was there something costume-wise that bothered you about the wife? I was just going to see mm, if you brought this up organically. No, not that I well, could think of. A lot of people complain about the wig. So apparently she had some great hair, and um, the director insisted that she wear that wig to make her look more farm girl and less of a knockout. Oh, um, yeah, I, see, I, I, I don't know if I've seen her in other... She, she looked familiar to me, but I don't know if I've seen her in other stuff. Certainly not to the point where I know what her haircut looks like. Uh, oh, I just thought the wig was really bad, and I definitely noticed it in the film. Um, oh, I no, I didn't, didn't register for me, did not notice. Now I'm going to look up this the, actress. It's, 
it's really just tight hair like that's her hair the whole time it, it, i mean it's i kind of liked it i liked the i liked the flowy blonde uh waves i was not i was almost a fan of it when she's like laying down and it's very angelic and stuff uh i think i almost prefer that like you know angelic long blonde hair to i'm looking at her picture now this like very 1920s cropped up bob in curls uh i think i almost prefer her haircut in the movie or her wig she's probably got like brunette curls yeah brunette curls is what it looks like and like i said they purposely make her blonde i mean that you know um well the director was said he was trying to rein in her beauty um but who knows make her more Uh, homely yeah 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 which just like the type bob in the back like i guess you see if you look at the cover of this film you see her in that type bob is which um yeah i guess if you weren't thinking about it maybe um but i remember just being like oh yeah i actually remember thinking that i preferred like when she's in bed looking up at him i like preferred like oh i like her hair when it's down rather than when it's tightly pulled back uh that that was my (laughs) only thought was like oh it looks good when it's down i like her with longer hair the tight bob is when I was really just like that's clearly a wig that doesn't look good. Um, oh, but I was I not guess, that attentive. I guess when it's down, it's 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 fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but it is funny. Like we're talking about the the sequence. I would say this is one thing that does not date well in the film. Like just to have the character to be like, all right, I told you this earlier that I want him to kill his wife so we can mo- get some cash and move to the city. But now I need a sequence of me looking at an ad that says mm-hmm. exactly that. I need yeah. the pencil. It's like, were you worried that the the audience had forgotten about this character? You're like, all right, we're in we're in the city. It's uh, another thirty minutes have passed. We need we need to remind the audience that this woman is still there, is there. Uh, I love her the shot of her like smoking by the newspaper, looking menacing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great shot. But her but reading what it says on the newspaper, I just I just laughed. Would just I could see why you were confused because you were probably like this must be some kind of meaningful information I just don't understand. We nope. didn't think oh this is exactly what we learned already in right. the opening this sequence. This is a total yeah. throwaway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, just to remind you, and I mean this is a very superficial comment, but the wife to me clearly more attractive than the femme fatale. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, mean, I think that's what the not a to lot of people not to thought. be yeah. object, objectifying or anything, but just my personal aesthetic uh and i'm not even that into to blondes although i guess she's not really a blonde but anyway um yeah not not so much of a temptress uh, in my opinion gotta be honest would not have been, would it, not have been swayed out of my farm marriage if it were me what well i think that's what you're supposed to think you're, you know you oh, stay right. with your wife your wife who's uh-huh. gorgeous and you just yeah, didn't yeah. you didn't really notice because her hair was up in that bun right. um <laughs> i love I love her hat too. I don't know oh, why. Yeah. Like it, it somehow makes her. I was just like the hat almost like, looks like it's just part of her hair. Doesn't <laughs> she just seem like a classic? Uh, what conservatives would just say, like feminists, like women they don't like for no reason look like that. You know that woman that has short hair. I just do not care for her. Like right. something about. I mean, I think it's short, why short hair. Yeah. Of the time, <laughs> very of the time, also in the twenties, is like the flappers, uh, the. The woman. I mean, her her title in the movie is the woman from the city. I mean, the city is evil because it's not. But, you then know, this, it's like... but then the city turns. I like how she that 
that when I first saw it, I was like, oh, woman from the city, the city's evil. But then they fall in love in the city. Right. You can't really say that it represents evil in the story. But, like, she's definitely evil in the story. So yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I think, I, well, I think I'm glad a... they didn't go that way. I'm glad they didn't just say, like, city's evil, farm's good. No, no, I think in some ways they did. Where And they found a nice mix of in-between where I think, like, civilization, for the farm person, for the rural uh, American or wherever they are, um, the city repre- civilization represents uh, corruption or the ability to be corrupted. So going to visit it for a day and a night or a weekend, it's like going to Vegas. Everyone knows Vegas is evil, but you can go there for a weekend and not do anything bad, you know? Um, and it's like, I still think it represents that in some way, but as long as you go back home to the farm, you're going to be okay. Like there's some, there's something you can, to that. You can, you can go to the city as long as you're there with your wife, but if you exactly. go with another woman, yeah. That's it. That's evil. No, I think that is there is some something to that uh, in the, the the ideology of this film or whatever we want to call it. But there is something city, of like, yes, the city exists. You can go and have a nice time, but don't let it suck you in. You know what I mean? It is a magical place in the film. Like, yeah. they have so much fun uh, happenings. Like, it's not an ominous place for them when they get there. No. Um, no. It's a great setting for them. But I, I, but I, I certainly understand your point. Um, um, and I think that there is something to that where it's just like to go back to these traditional values, which I don't want to read too much in this movie. But we started this podcast uh, talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, among mm-hmm. other classic. Early films, where in, I don't know if you thought about this, but in that movie, it's like, don't go to the city, stay yep. home. I was just like, this is, this is the same. Very similar. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's and why the, Sonic the Hedgehog is such a contemporary classic. Because it has they, these things that that even in the silent film era were present. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the writer directors were probably yeah. thinking of Sunrise. It has the <laughs> same <laughs> ideology as almost a hundred years ago. Uh, when they put it together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, solid silent movie. I have to admit, I was I kept putting off watching this movie because I was not in the mood. I was even very impatient when I started it, uh, and. I would say at first I was tolerating it, but I there was enough going on in it that I began to enjoy, scene by scene, began to enjoy it. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, I definitely agree with your assertion that it's magical realism and not German Expressionism at all. And I think that's also why it reminds me a lot of Leo Skorok's movies, because there's definitely magical realist qualities. And like I said, this sort of cinema can do anything thing where you're like, oh, this movie isn't even trying to be realistic. It's just having some fun. So, yeah. I want to lean... Do you want to do the ratings first, or do you want to do the huh, pick next week's movie first? I almost feel like we should... I don't know. I don't know. What do you Cause think? Because I was, gonna, I I was either going to give you like... a couple options based on this movie. I mean, I'm either going to give you... I'm going to give you two, two different directors who are very influenced by silent film era and techniques... Or we can spin the wheel, and based on that, I'll pick one of the one a movie by those two directors. Do you want to know who those directors are, or how do you want to do this? Should we leave okay. it more up to chance or to decision? Well, we could always do both. I feel like we could spin it and then see if it works, and then if not, yeah, okay, that's fair. fair. What what is the what so are the directors? The directors are Leo Skorox, who I mentioned, 
And then the other one is Jacques Tati. Have you ever seen any Tati movies? I don't think so. I thought of him because we, we were talking about Buster Keaton and Harold Budd and, and Charlie Chaplin, and he's much later, uh, but he's like a mime that made movies. But it's not like classic mime. I mean, he's like an old man wearing a raincoat. And uh, really wonderful, charming stuff. And I actually went and saw his, what's considered his, it's not my favorite of his, but it's considered his masterwork, uh, Playtime. And I got to see it in a movie theater last night. So I was hoping to do maybe one. And, and after watching Sunrise on Thursday and then going to see Playtime on Friday, I was like, oh, a Tati movie would work really well as a follow-up. But so would, since you can understand a lot of the silent movie techniques, I think you would appreciate some Leo's Karak stuff. Actually, at the beginning of all of his movies, he has a little couple seconds of some of his favorite silent films, just like a few frames. And that's like one of his signatures, is all of his movies start with a little, little couple seconds of a silent film. What time periods are these directors? Uh, Tati is the 50s and 60s. Karax is, well, like I said, his newest movie is coming out this year, but he started in the 80s. But there, there are a couple of them are really sort of outside of time. Like Holy Motors, you can't really place when it, when it is. Um, that's not the. One, I don't think that's the one I would pick. But I feel and, like have we talked about Holy Motors before? Have you talked? Yeah, about I brought it, it up. I, I've definitely okay. brought up Karak several times. He's one of my favorite directors. Okay. Okay. Um, so something by him or Jacques Tati, who I I think you would really get. And it it's basically a sign that there's almost never dialogue. Tati almost never says anything. At least the characters around him might. But it's very much like the clown, the hapless fool, sort of bumbling through modern society and being like, oh, look at all this technology. And it's, it's hilarious. It's so charming. But a lot of silent movie gags, for sure. I feel like you seem more excited about doing a Tati film. Um, I'm excited about doing, but I mean, they might just be my I next feel like couple both. picks either way. Well, that's what I'm saying. It seems like the other... What is his name? Car- Car- I'm saying C-A-R-A-X. Carax. Carax. I feel like you're definitely going to pick some of his films. Yeah, kind of I feel like that's inevitable, yeah. 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 Um, I almost think, should we do... Yeah, maybe a Tati film sounds interesting. You seem, like, curious about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen most of his stuff. Um but I'm down to rewatch for sure. Should we I have s- it pulled up. Do you still want me to do a random? Yeah, thing? let's Just spin the wheel for fun and see what happens. See if a, like a film of either of these directors fits into really it. Mad. Yeah, okay. There we go. Musicals. Oh. <laughs> does he have Does he have any musicals? Um. Anything, anything that would qualify? You know, it's funny. Uh, Annette, the movie that's coming out, is a musical, but it's not out yet, so... Uh, listen, I'm gonna pick Mon Oncle. It's a, uh, it's a Jacques Tati movie. How do you spell it? Uh, M O N. Oh, found it. And then Uncle, okay. yeah. So, and I'm I, w- I was thinking of doing his first movie, uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, but Mon Oncle is one of the few DVDs I own, so I kind of want to w- watch the disc, even though they're all on, on streaming. So yeah, let's do that one. Let's do Mon Oncle next time, next week. Awesome. I yeah, I think you really I, like it. Uh, just in turn, I mean, if you like silent comedies, you're gonna get a kick out of Tati. He's he's probably my. I mean, if if I had to pick between Chaplin and Keaton and all these other people, I'd probably pick Tati. 
just because I think he's such a great director. Um, but yeah. Okay. It doesn't make me laugh out loud, but it makes me like feel good. Like I, I smile inside kind of thing, you know. Um, charming, I think, is the right word. Okay, that sounds awesome. Um, I'm curious now, I was going to ask you this, but I forgot. What is your favorite silent film? Do you think you have one in mind that you're like, this is my favorite silent film? Oh, God. Or is this something you've thought about? I have not thought about it. I need to give me a minute. Um, i trying oh, to think gotta, if I've even... you got to decide right now, or just going to move on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, one of the other very few DVDs I own is the Jean Vigo thing. Have you ever seen L'Atlante? Let, let Atlant, Atlante. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, it looks like Atlantis, but in French, Atlante. Um, uh, I mean, that one's cool, but I don't know if it's my favorite. Um, I guess a lot of we've talked about Cocteau before. I don't know if you would. Yeah, I don't know. Those. I re I rewatched those. Like I rewatched Blood of the Poet and like. For me, the, a lot of the Cocteau doesn't hold up, except for Testament of Orpheus, which I have always maintained is his best film. I still love it. Uh, I don't know, some Georges Melee stuff is really cool. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, no. I do not have a favorite silent film at present. Not that I can think well, of. I, okay. I feel like Cocteau is so much about the techniques and the special effects. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's why a lot of people appreciate his films. Uh, right. To me, that's always what I remember about any of his films is is the visuals and the uh, special effects that are that are are great um, and influential. But I can certainly understand if you're thinking about like just an emotional story. Maybe they just don't resonate. Um, yeah, I think it's this hard is... to. I mean, I think that's okay. one of the reasons I like uh, Karak so much is because he's clearly indebted. To, I like it's very clear that he would be able to rattle off a dozen of his favorite silent films um he's just very you know it's somebody like guy madden too is extremely influenced by that that era those techniques but i just um yeah i don't know i've seen a bunch but there's not one if clearly if i had a favorite and it was obvious it would be at the forefront of my mind and uh, off the top of my head i can't really think of any um so no do you have a favorite silent film I think this is probably my favorite silent film. Um, maybe that's why I, I feel like I haven't seen it that many times to know for sure. Uh, I've seen it two times in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of silent films I haven't seen. I want to see more of uh, Monroe's Mar films. Uh, really interesting guy, a director that's kind of been forgotten in a lot of ways uh that hasn't been championed in the way that other director stuff has i would say his stuff is very influential i think that a lot of filmmakers are influenced by his work and um but he's not one of the i mean he was this this movie's still on the afi list and um it's it's made at least one of the sight and sound lists for directors and and critics both i don't know if it's on the current list for sight and sound or not um, but I think I'm gonna buy it, a tick. Sorry to interrupt. Continue. No, I just I'm just like is it's uh oh I lost my train of thought. I just think I if you if you don't watch silent films and you haven't seen this one and you've seen like some of the chapter I would I would watch this film. I think it's super accessible. I think anybody could watch it and get something out of it. Um, and um, yeah, I guess that's. But I still at the same time I I've enjoyed a 
the the silent films I don't like. I'll just tell you right now, Intolerance is awful. Um, I did not like Intolerance at all. People will tell you to watch that film for oh, the and like Birth of, Birth of a Nation too. Birth of a Na- yeah. Well, that direct. Well, that's the whole thing about certain directors. Certain directors have a personality that can kind of dominate and get their films continue to be preserved and shown. And D.W. Griffin is some is a director that was able to do that. Charlie Chaplin was able to do that. Um, that's why we're still watching their films. And this, I don't think that this. Uh, he has as much of a champion he didn't live super long he died in a i listened to this history podcast about his life um, and he died in kind of a crazy car accident where apparently he was very superstitious and he thought that he was going to die in a car accident so he like made a different trip to avoid the car ride and made made it mostly on a ship ride but he still got in a car accident and like a short trip so it's just he's he's an interesting guy and he is uh, Orson Welles level of the sense that he's got a lot of um, films that are lost that are just kind of gone mm-hmm. um, the director of M did his eulogy at <laughs> at his uh, grave oh and he was in the news in 2015 because somebody stole his head uh, <laughs> so this, is, this is another crazy story about this guy is that somebody dug up his body and stole his head uh a lot of people think it just has something to do with uh, Nosferatu uh, for mm. whatever reason. People that because people think that there was like a, there's story. If you saw Shadow of a Vampire two, that John Malkovich movie, it's kind of a fictionalized version mm. of him in like being an actual vampire and all this method acting stuff. Um, all of that supposedly is really not true to his personality. Apparently, he was kind of the opposite of the M director where he was very down to earth and nice and friendly and was not mm. a taskmaster at a, as a director wanting everything exactly right. He had kind of the office. It sounds like a goofy guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. just, um, well, I'm just going to tell you, uh, while you've been talking, I just looked up when Taboo is playing. It's playing a week from tomorrow in a theater here, and I, I just bought a ticket. Uh, so okay. not this Sunday, but next. I'm going to go see that. Uh, we can decide next week if you want to do that movie, but I'm definitely going to be watching it anyway. Um, well, also, I'll it looks like out. at the same theater, yeah. Nashville is playing tomorrow, which I've never seen. Oh, Nashville's great. you got to see Nashville. Um, I don't know if I want to sit in a theater for three hours. You know? But yeah. I don't know if I'm in the... I'm going to decide tomorrow if I'm in the mood for it and then get a ticket. You know exactly what time of, type of film... Nashville is like Altman at his... I don't know if I, I, I don't want to don't want to if I say most ultimate because because basically it's almost like you're watching some kind of documentary like you're just watching yeah. characters and dialogue and you're not really sure what the story is or what's going on and yeah. that's well I'm gonna that's I'm gonna have pretty to see much if... the fi- I'm like if you're in a mood for that right I'm gonna have, have to see it, tomorrow if I'm in the mood yeah. for that because I and mean, we've talked about it before where this is a movie that. It's one of the, on that like list of classics that I have yet to see that I keep putting off because I'm like, oh, do I really want to watch another masterpiece? Um, and I will eventually, but I'm gonna have to be in just the right mood, and I'll have to see how I feel tomorrow. Uh, but either way, I don't yeah. have to be in any mood to go see Taboo, a story of the South Seas by F. W. Murnau or whatever. Uh, yeah, I've actually practiced trying to pronounce his name right, Murnau. Murnau. Uh, I think it's Murnau. Yeah, but um. 
I feel like I've, I've said everything I wanted to about him, and I'll definitely watch that film for sure, um, either before you watch it or after, and we can decide if we want to do an episode of, about it or not. Um, but okay. interesting guy, and I, I didn't talk about his cinematographer, but he deserves a lot of the credit for a lot of those uh, sequences, early, uh, if you could call them dolly shots, like he did do moving camera shots, and it just it blows your mind, because if you... If you watch old films and you watch like the 30s and the 40s films, um, you see all the actors so stationary because of the recording of the audio. That's why when you have like a director like Orson Welles come in, um, do a lot of dubbing and like not ha- or having dialogue away from the, it's the, you understand like why he did that because for mm-hmm. a, a, a whole chunk of uh, movie making was just dedicated to a certain place so that they could record audio and it mm. got completely away from the type of inventive filmmaking of a movie like Sunrise. So that's I guess that's what I feel like people have the wrong attitude about what uh, silent films were. Um, if the silent era continued I, I think we would have even more films like this um, that were just really masterpieces uh, that more inventive, you know, really pushing the technique even more so um but anyway that's what that's what happened and so for that alone i would say check it out i think uh most people have the wrong idea of what a silent film is uh, mm-hmm. even if you've seen like a handful of those, so, um, this is one that's different and anyway so i guess i can do my rating i guess i've already kind of summed up how i feel mm-hmm. about it anyway um i for me, this is a of our check equals plus minus system. Uh, this is a plus asterisk where it's like there are some things that I find kind of like off about it if I want to complain and be nitpicky about it. Um, but I think it could even be a star for me. I think I just I was thinking about it uh, today and I was just like I think I need to see a movie at least three times within a given time period. I don't know what that given time period is, but to give it a star, I feel like there there has to be at least three watches. You know. And so I don't think it's it's not That's quite fair. there yet. It's not there yet for me. I haven't given it the third watch yet. Um, I've definitely rewatched sequences more than once, uh, but um, I think it does everything it wants to do, and I think it's still compelling filmmaking. That's interesting, and um, yeah. Anyway, do you want to do your rating, and then I'll do the scientific rating to close? Sure. Um, you know, this is a tough one for me. I can understand your personal rating, but out of the, as we know, check plus X equals star asterisk system, I'm going to have to go a little off the board. It's a rating that we've talked about before, but never given. As we know, like I just said, there's the check plus star asterisk equals star infinity. And I'm going to give this film an infinity. And I'm going to say there's, there's, we have not talked about this much because very few films get it. It's, as, it's, I would say, even rarer than the star rating. But the infinity symbol, to me, means that this film could go on forever. Because it's such a human story. I'm not going to say whether I even like it or not. I think we've talked about things that I do like about it and things about it that I think are ridiculous. But 
I can see why people say, oh, this is one of the best films, you know, silent films ever made and blah, blah, blah. I don't feel that way. I almost feel a way about, I'm giving it an infinity symbol because I will never be able to make a decision about how I feel about this movie. I understand the asterisk of like, oh, I should rewatch this late, years later. And I, and I might, I probably only if it plays in the theater. I don't think I'll watch it at home again. But if I'm ever like, you know, in a big city and it happens to be up on the marquee, uh, I, I would be tempted to go see it in a, on a big screen. So I'm going to give this an infinity because I will never be able to give this movie an accurate rating. It is infinitely hard to pin down. So. All right, that's fair. I, I mean, I think part of what you're saying I really resonate with because I do think it's different. And I guess that's kind of my whole plea about silent films is that they're just their own thing. And if you, like, try to go into them with... Uh, like what you kind of expect a traditional film can do, you're going to be disappointed because it's got different strengths and weaknesses and it mm -hmm. plays the beats of every genre a little differently. I, um, I will say in any silent film, and definitely in this one, um, if you are aware of the more technical aspects, if you're aware of how the cameras work and you know sound design and things like this, there's always something that's impressive. And there's numerous things in this film that are impressive that I was <clears throat> what I'm trying to say is when I watch a good silent film I always learn something about the technical side of things and this is definitely one of those movies where I'm like oh god look at that not only like oh look at that that's interesting but like a little mystery of like how did they do that and so it's like I almost learned something from silent films in terms of technique uh, because let's face it they're also learning how to do it. They're teaching themselves, like, oh, I wonder if we can get away with this, right? And so it's like you learn with it, the, that historical component. And so that's always fascinating, you know? Um, but yeah, to me, this film is an infinity. I will never be able to give it an accurate rating. Uh, I don't want to say anything positive or negative, although I've said plenty of positive things about it. But m my real question, David, is what does the science have to say? All right, well... For the scientific rating, this is kind of a slam dunk. I won't go into a long explanation, but we're talking about a film that is American, but made by a German director mm. that is on every notable list, really. And um, it's got to be a star. In inherent bias. And it, it is inherent bias based on its own acclaim, <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like. But also the way that Americans love to um, just validate every artist that's like, oh, you're not really an artist until you come to Hollywood and you make your movie mm -hmm. here. And so part of that is, I'm sure, part of the scientific rating um, because mm -hmm. those factors are all um, take, a, take a part. Um, oh, you know I what else? It, I think it's deserved, though. Go ahead. Yeah, it makes sense, especially with the scientific rating system's inherent bias for... Uh, foreign directors who make their first English film, uh, which, by the way, Leo Scarrox is about to be one of them. Annette is his first film in English after after forty years of toiling away, barely being able to get funding every decade to make another one. So I think I think it'll be fun to maybe do that if when it, whenever it, it comes out. Oh yeah, online. I I can guarantee whether I like it or not. I'm going to go see it in the movie theater more than once, which is what I do with Holy Motors, too. Like, I wonder if it's going to play in the theaters here. Um, I bet it would play at either Tivoli or Frontenac. I'd be surprised if it didn't play at Frontenac. 
Maybe eventually. Okay. Yeah. I'll be on the look for it. I definitely were in a not to give away too much context of the show. Not a lot of movies to see in the theater right now. Currently, um, I desperately want to go to the theater, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing is really playing, and so uh, maybe I need to take your approach and just see some older older films in the theater. Um, not oh, yeah. as many here as there is in Los Angeles, where I'm sure they're playing pretty regularly there. Yeah. I guess there's some, there's 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 some here. I'm just not really going out of my way to look for what the smaller festivals are playing. Um, but maybe I should. Anyway, that's that's boring. Let's just... I'm gonna brag via uh, text message, and I'm gonna send you links to two of the main theaters that are playing stuff here, uh, and you can get an idea of the the repertory stuff. Which, by the way, is not nowhere close to being as good as it is in New York. But yeah, we're lucky enough. Actually, what's interesting is there was a, there's a theater in Los Angeles called the Silent Movie Theater that rarely plays silent movies, even though that's where I'm going to go see Taboo. And uh, different people, different companies or, or nonprofits have owned it over the years. And someone had just bought it and fixed it up after it was closed for a long time. And it was really nice. Like, they remodeled the place and everything. And it was really great. And I only went and saw one movie there. It was Koyana Skatsi. And it was a great experience. And then quarantine happened. And those people, lost, like, they folded and lost it. And now somebody else bought it. And they have a really ugly name. But they're playing really good stuff. So I'm fine with it. Anyway, so that's where I've been going to see stuff. There's also a thing in L.A. called Secret Movie Club. Where it's like an email chain. And they, they play different stuff all over the all over the place all over the city usually pretty interesting stuff too a lot of classics and contemporary stuff sunrise now i wanted to play the the key and soundtrack to end the episode i was looking for it on my phone oh koyana scotsy that's that's probably it if i don't know if i would want to give that movie an infinity i don't have a lot to say about i it. think I that movie's an infinity for sure yeah I feel like I always like want to rewatch it, and then I watch about five minutes, and then I'm like, eh, maybe some other time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've listened to the soundtrack probably dozens of times, so I love. I mean, I love the soundtrack. You know, it's funny. I'm actually. This is never. This has definitely never come up. I'm actually not a Philip Glass fan. I love wow. instrumental music. I love ambient music. I love minimalist stuff. I love classical. Philip Glass gets on my fucking nerves. I like Koyana Scotsy. I think it's one of the few times I when sometimes when he does the music for a movie, I like like the movie less because I know every song is gonna go for eight minutes. Yeah, I don't know. I've just never been a fan of Philip Glass. It doesn't work for me. There's very few things he's done that do, but Koyana Scotsy works. Okay, that is not. That is not the right it thing. Just, it was just an ad. Uh, I would say, like, his music seems to never... End. Like, you know, that's the complaint everybody gets about his music. It's just like, it keeps going, it keeps going, and there's no crescendo, you know? And it's just mm-hmm. kind of like... Well, the whole thing is a crescendo. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But Which, just, when the whole thing is a crescendo, there is no con- crescendo, right? There's, like, a paradox. constantly building up <laughs> to something that doesn't happen. All right, whatever. We're here at the end of the episode. I guess I look, I've leaned in a little bit. All right. All right. But that's that's movie victory. Um, in a sunrise is a apparently d- a movie victory, or 
An infinity symbol. An, an infinity symbol. Regardless, uh, check out some silent films if you never have. I would mm -hmm. recommend them. Start with Sunrise. If you want to ease your way into it, Jacques Tati, we're doing his film Mon Uncle next week. It's the closest thing you get to a silent film in the sound era. Uh, I mean, aren't there, haven't people made silent films? Yeah. After that? Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, Guy <laughs> Matt, Guy Matt, there's a Canadian guy named Guy Madden who like still makes sound films and he's very influenced by that shit. But I don't really want to do any of his movies, so I didn't bring it up. Okay, you're fine. I know there's The Artist, which I've never seen. Which I think I've never seen the, it either. Which I guess is a silent film, right? That is about silent films. Yeah, yeah, it's very meta. Didn't it win? Stuff? It won Best Picture, yeah. It, yeah, I've never seen it. I'm sure, you know, if they're using silent movie techniques, I'm sure it's amazing to watch. But I have not seen it either, no. I feel like now that I can appreciate silent films more, maybe I should check it out. Um, anyway. Not, Possib not on possibly. My, not on my priorities. <laughs> movie right. victory. Movie victory. On that note, it is over. This is the end. Goodbye. Right, bye.